This is the Shift Podcast. Today on the Shift Daily Podcast, what's it like to drive an electric car in the middle of nowhere? Riel de Chatelet is a volunteer with the Electric Vehicle Association of Northern Ontario. He shares his experiences of driving an electric pickup truck in a rural community and what happens when supercharging stations, the quick ones that boost your vehicle quick, all go down and there's no place to charge them unless you're at home. Your phone is dirtier than a doorknob, but Handy Eddie has tips on how to keep it clean, plus how to protect your eyes and ears with technology today, especially with the kids. And are you okay with collecting things? Are you okay with zoos and lots of animals here on the Shift Daily Podcast? This is the Shift Podcast. I find electric vehicles fascinating. It was probably 10 years ago almost when I drove my first one that I uh, that I ever had the opportunity to drive. Now, it wasn't dedicated all electric recharge. It was a gas over electric. It was a Fisker. And the Fiskers at the time used to run a small engine that would charge the batteries and would charge the car. So the engine always ran. And yes, you were on electric sometimes, but whenever you were accelerating, there was not enough battery power in order to... Um, to do that. But the fuel efficiency of this little engine and the fact that it recharged itself meant you drove mostly on electric. It was really cool. You see that today BMW has a range extender. You see uh, some of these cars have a small gas engine. It's almost like a lawnmower, frankly, that just kind of puts away inside, but it provides enough electricity for the car to get through regenerating and, and keep going. So that removes a lot of the stress of when's my next charging station? Is it available for me? I can tell you this though, driving that Fisker was awesome and weird. Weird because the engine, it never changed gears, right? It was just, that was it because it was always running when you had to accelerate. I mean, it was a sports car. And, um, and then the awesome part is the torque. Like it is a really nice drive. And I mean, I don't know if electric's right for me. I love the notion of plug-in hybrids to me. That seems to be, especially in Canada. So we wanted to learn more about this. There was a story that I found from Northern Ontario that uh, EV charging stations were basically broken down and something had gone wrong with the provider of them. And it was going to be a long time before people from areas like Thunder Bay were going to have assistance getting anywhere with some of these charging stations. Um, Real de Chatelet is here with us. Um, now, you're from Scriber, Ontario. You're actually on vacation with your family, taking time to be with us. You're a volunteer with the Electric Vehicle Association of Northern Ontario. So you've obviously made your way down to Toronto. Um, thanks, Ralph, for being here. Really appreciate it. Um, you love electric cars. I do, yeah. Uh, well, as soon as I uh, I got in that world, started learning about them, uh, mm-hmm. I really, really got interested. And uh, I've seen the, the benefits that work for my, my use case. Yeah. And then I was hooked. Yeah. For your life. Um, so what, um, what, what's your favorite part of driving an electric today? What's your favorite part about it? Like not the, not the fancy smart costs about all the things, but just <laughs> you're sitting in the chair real. And then you're like, yeah, there it is. I love that. Right. What yeah. is it for you? Me? It's the, uh, when you're sitting in at a stoplight or at a stop sign or you're warming it up in the morning, you're not burning gas sitting there doing nothing. Mm-hmm. You're just, it's just sitting there waiting for you to push the accelerator. There's no idling. You know, you don't have that yeah. exhaust smoke. Well, I thought up. of that. I ran into the liquor store. I might as well tell the story truthfully. And uh, my daughter was in the car 
And um, I just parked like right outside the door. And then my girlfriend was in the car and I was like, I'm going to run in. It was 30 degrees outside. So I left the car running so the air conditioning could still run. Uh, do you do, I'm assuming you do that with your electric car too. I mean, you could just leave it on and, and run inside and get your stuff, yep. but then it's not actually idling. Yeah. 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 Everything mm-hmm. runs as normal. Yeah. Take your. Well, it didn't escape me when I came back out and it's the middle of summer and I'm, you know, it's different in Canada when it's minus 30 and your car is idling. I mean, there is some benefit to keeping, taking care of your car in those scenarios. But I, I, um, I, I did, couldn't help but notice the fact that I was that guy that had my car idling for an <laughs> extra couple of minutes so I could run in the store. Yeah. Uh, fascinating. Okay. So Real, you are an electric car driver. So what did you drive before you got into electric? I had another F-150, had a 2017 F-150. Great great pickup pretty fuel efficient truck though like they are. most people wouldn't have to get out of that kind of truck for what you get out of it yeah like we we could i could drive 1200 kilometers on a tank with that thing like i had a massive yeah. bag, big tank on it but yeah like yeah. range range was not an issue um it's more you, you had to get out for a break that thing would just go forever it was a great yeah. truck reliable uh towed well like there was nothing wrong with that truck. It was perfect. Yeah, the new F one fifties have have really changed the truck game. Really. Yeah. Um, I mean, the smaller engine, little turbo in some of them. Yeah. Um, and the efficiency that comes with it. So I mean, so okay. So you have all this range. You have all this stuff. Then why go to the Lightning? Why go to the electric F one fifty when you have all this range and yeah, all that? <laughs> it kind of went the other way. Kind of back to when we talked about it, just sitting there idling. I remember a couple of years back, it was minus. 20 something whatever it was inscriber and your remote start your your vehicle and it runs for 15 minutes and it's uh well you know i'll give it another 15 so there's 30 minutes at driving sitting idling in your driveway and you still haven't left the driveway for work and then i drive 10 minutes to work so this poor truck has run now for 40 minutes for a 10 minute drive and uh i thought there's got to be a better way there's got to be something something i could do uh, you know to make that better and then shortly after that, they announced that the F-150 is going to go electric. Um, yeah, so that's that was my first kind of thing I wanted to get rid of was just idling in the driveway mm-hmm. for no reason. Mm-hmm. Just, to, just to warm up the seats and the windshield. That's all it's really doing. That's all it's really doing. Um, yeah. So how have you found it now? Like, do you still feel pretty square on that, um, that it's working for you with this? Would you ever consider going back or... Is it, is it the circumstance of your life that really kind of gets you there, that it works? Yeah, I think it's my use case. That's the, the main thing. Um, I, I have a 14-kilometer drive to work and, and then 14 back home. So I don't have a long uh, work trip. Uh, we, I don't travel a lot. You know, I stick close to home. So I think my use case makes this truck work for me. Uh, like I've said, it's, the truck's not perfect and it's not for everyone. Mm-hmm. But it, um, you know, for what I need a truck to do, uh, it, it works well. It's, I you know. really are in the middle of nowhere, though. I've driven that road a few yeah. times. <laughs> yeah. And, like, you're yeah. west of Marathon, yes. middle of nowhere. Um, and cost of fuel up there was ex- extraordinary, too. I remember driving through. The first time I ever paid a dollar a liter for fuel <laughs> okay. was in 2004. I remember it. It was like October 2004, and I was moving back from St. Catharines, Ontario, back to Calgary, and I was driving with my wife at the time and our two dogs and a U-Haul trailer, and I had a Dodge Durango V8, and we got up there, and I was like, 99.9? What is this place? And it was in Marathon or someplace close. So you guys have not had an easy go, I'm assuming, up there 
uh, anyway when it comes to the cost of fuel, more so than a lot of other places in Canada. Yeah, yeah, cost of fuel is, is always a priority, you know, if you're trying to save some money. Uh, lots of people will drive out of town to go save a couple cents per, yeah. per liter. Um, that doesn't, doesn't interest me. Um, <laughs> Wait in know. line for an hour at a gas station to <laughs> yeah. save two cents a liter. Yeah. Like you saved a dollar sixty yeah. for an hour of your time. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean charging at home is the best and cheapest way to fuel up a an EV. Yeah. So um, you know that's most than ninety nine percent of EV owners charge at home. So that's. That Did works. you? Uh, are you an electrician by chance? <laughs> Did no. you put in your own panels? No. No, I, I no. I ran the wire, and then I had an electrician do all the work, all the yeah. hookups. Was it expensive everything. to get it all set up at home? Uh, not, I'd say it was about fifteen hundred dollars with the charger. Yeah, like the charger come with the truck? Nope, nope, yeah, not nah. separate. Um, the 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 bigger battery version comes with the charger. Mine, mm-hmm. uh, I had mine installed almost two years before I had my truck. I mean, I was oh really? I, oh, I you were waiting. really ready for it? I was really ready. I I wanted that thing to show up. Yeah, now. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> I wish you could see the look on Raoul's face. He's so happy to talk about it. That's so great. Um, now, Northern Ontario, though, there's been, according to this article, and I, I don't really care about the article, it was just interesting to me that the infrastructure had basically gone down on some of these charging stations, causing some um, real discontent with EV owners because there's lots of people who couldn't get out of Thunder Bay and go on long road trips because there was not enough uh, charging access. Is that still the case? What happened there? Yeah, so between, I'll say, I'll say Scriber, but more Terrace Bay area. Terrace Bay to Sault Ste. Marie, there was no uh, fast charging available for pretty much the whole month of June. So if you're leaving Sault Ste. Marie coming north, or if we're leaving to go down south towards uh, Sault Ste. Marie, it's it's not that it was impossible, but it would uh, without the fast charging, it's, it's almost impossible. It's just... So- yeah. That's 500 kilometers basically from Scriber to Sioux. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, I mean, that's that's out of reach for most typical EVs in today's world, like looking backwards, because most not everyone has brand new ones. But, I mean, about yep. 300 kilometers is probably pretty fair average. I don't know. What do you guys look at in your club? Yeah, there's a few that could, could maybe make that, but it would be pretty tight. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, those hills by Sault Ste. Marie would probably do you in, so it's almost it's too long of a stretch for any ev um some can make it but not too many what's the difference then if you take your truck um and you go to a fast charging station versus just a s- slow normal charge what, what's the difference in time so um yeah fast charging i could get back up to 90 percent from let's say 40 percent in about an hour maybe an hour and mm-hmm. a bit on a regular home plug-in that uh, you're talking ooh, 60 hours, 50 oh, to 60 wow. hours. Yeah. And then there's oh, the really? le- there's a level two in between, like your home charger, um, that cuts it down to about eight to 10 hours. Yeah. Okay. So there's level one, two, and three. Three is yeah, is kind of the big boy. Yeah. It's that's the well. Yeah. The technology for the the level three has even been cause for concern in some cases because it charges the battery so fast. Some science has said that's even harder on the batteries. You're better to slow charge them if you want to get more life out of the batteries yep. over time, right? Yeah. 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 Fast charging is only, you know, when you're traveling. The rest of the time yeah. you're using level two home. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, see, that's amazing. And I've always wondered about that because well, there's a big mall that's about 10 minutes from my place and there's a bunch of Tesla chargers there and yep. it's always full of people charging. And I had a friend of mine, he had a Tesla and what he used to do is he'd get up in the morning and he would drive there and he'd sit down and he'd plug in and he'd have his coffee and he would read through his articles or his stuff he needed to work on for the day. And he would prepare his work day while he was there, but he would do the fast charge for the 45 minutes or whatever it took. And then he would go to work. And that was really the only way he was charging his car. And, uh, but then I read these other articles. And I'm like, yeah, that can't be good, you know, for the, the life of the car. And it's not like the batteries are cheap. No, no. Yeah. It's, it, I mean, we plan our, our stops, uh, during lunch or supper, like when we're doing things. Yeah. Um, and it's very is, rare that we fast charge, but yeah. It happens. Is, is that what it is? It's, it's basically, is that the difference? Did you drive your, your lightning to Toronto for this trip? I did not. No. Okay. No, no. So, I mean, that's a long trip cause that's what 900 kilometers. Uh, we drove to, we didn't drive right to Toronto. We end up in Brockville and took a, a train oh, into the, Toronto. I used to live in Brockville. Very nice. Uh, yeah. Oh, so to Toronto. So, so did you go Brockville? Did you go the 401 or did you go around through Ottawa? I don't know which way is faster. Probably the same. I don't know. I, I, I'm just driving. My wife tells me how, Where to, how to, to go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Oh, this yeah. is so good. Uh, Real is here. And this is a real life look at what EVs are like. So, so that trip becomes um, extremely difficult in the current version of your F-150 electric, yeah? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It would be, um, I mean, we did, we got to Brockville in a day and a half. We stayed at some some family on the way down. Yeah, I mean, that, trip. that would have been a different story with my, my EV, um, just because charging, stopping to charge. Where, where's the furthest you've gone? Because, I mean, if planning is the secret, you know, planning your dinner time, all that stuff, how, what's the furthest you've gone inside your truck? I've only on been a I've only been at Thunder Bay so far. Okay. Yeah, I had a trip planned this spring, and uh, my appendix changed those plans. So, oh, dear. Uh, yeah, so I was planning a northern trip up through uh, Shaplow, Timmins, Hearst, and then back Ooh, around. Okay. But yeah. that, that never panned out. But uh, that I had mapped it out. It seemed to, it was going to work. Uh, hmm. Yeah, I haven't Do you gone. get that? Sorry, go ahead, finish your thought. Yeah, I haven't gone too far with it. You uh, do, do you have that that range anxiety that they talk about in the electric cars? Because I mean, I you don't you get that when you're driving in a gas car, and then you're mm-hmm. like, oh, I don't know if I'm gonna yeah. make it. But there's always way more options, right? Um, you know, you might not make it to the gas station that gives you points, but you can go to that other gas station, no problem. I mean, that's what range is like in a, most cars today. I mean, I drive a diesel, so that causes me some range anxiety from time yeah. to time. Yeah. And so, um, so, but do you go, did you like, do you go through that? Even trip to Thunder Bay is quite hefty. It is. Um, I used to have range anxiety quite a bit at first. The first month was, I, I was questioning if I even bought the right, the right vehicle. It was like, right. oh my God. But it, it's now switched to uh, charging anxiety. That's the new, the new thing that you got to worry about. You just pull up to a charger. You're just hoping it's going to work. You, right. You, you check the app all you want, but. When you pull up and the screen's black, you better have a good backup plan or you're going to be there a while. Has That's, that one had that? Well, this is, talks about the breakdown in Northern Ontario. Is that, ha- is that was what was happening? Is that people thought these chargers were working and then they were getting really hung up because they couldn't, they weren't working at all? Yeah. Yeah. They were completely down. I mean, most really? of the apps will tell you if there's an issue. Um, sometimes they don't. Or you just, you're chancing it. You're like, ah, whatever. Get there. They'll, they'll have it fixed by the time I get there. Oh dear. Yeah. That doesn't happen. <laughs> That's a bingo card. I don't want to play on. Um, no, no. The, uh, 
so okay so when you tell me about these apps because i know that my friends so driving from calgary where i am to vancouver or into the okanagan i mean that's a common trip and three hours into the trip is golden bc from calgary and so it's downhill most of the way but that's where most people stop to get fuel charge all that stuff mm-hmm. and so the the apps, as I understand it, they'll tell you if they're there. They'll tell you if there's a car on it. But there's no way to tell if there's 50 cars in queue for that particular charger, is there? Nope. No. Not, I've never seen that. Um, mm. the, the app I use the most is PlugShare. That one's kind of a community kind of app where they say, you know, had a good experience or not. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that kind of thing. And then the, the actual companies that own the chargers, they'll have their own app too. Right. Yeah, there's nothing to say you're going to wait, you know, you're the tenth driver that's going to have to come in. I'm, I'm, that could be a long wait. I've talked to many EV owners, a lot of them from British Columbia and, and uh, or Alberta, and uh, they say those chargers are very busy. It's, it's a different reality here. Um, like we have a bank of six Tesla chargers in Terrace Bay. Most of the time, there's nobody at them, so right. it's it's that's you know that's the Northern Ontario uh, reality. Yeah. But as these, oh, you know, bad. as the numbers come up, these charges will get busier, and that's when we'll need this infrastructure to keep keep pace with it for sure. Well, you need it to work. Step one, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, I'm coming from the non-Tesla side, uh, where it's a little more problematic. The Tesla, from what I could see from from the other side, Tesla have charging figured out. You know, they're reliable. They're lots of stations. Probably almost every. Hundred and something kilometers apart, they they have right. a good they could have a good network. Yeah, um, but, I do um, love those memes though. By the way, where the like when there's a flood or big puddles. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. I don't even see. And there's like there's like yeah. Tesla charging units, and there's a big puddle, and someone's parked in a puddle charging yeah. their car, and I'm like, you nope, feel again, lucky. that's not my bingo card. That one. <laughs> yeah. So, okay, now forgive my naivety on this, but can you use a Tesla charger on your truck? I can use a Tesla home charger. They call them destination chargers. Hotels uh-huh. will have them or shopping malls, that kind of thing, with the right adapter. But I can't use their big superchargers yet. It's supposed to be next in the spring. They're going to open yeah. it up to uh, non-Teslas. So what's, what is the difference between a supercharger? So if I'm going to a hotel, I go into the parkade, there's a charger there versus if I go to the mall and there's one of the big, 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 big ones or a gas yeah. station, that kind of thing. Is that the difference? Yeah, it's uh like the supercharger is uh it's I'm I'm gonna guess because I've never used one is about an hour to top up mm. to full the ninety mm. percent, and the destination charger is like a home charger where you're getting about uh, I don't know you'd be there for eight hours let's say you know overnight to get top right. drought. yeah that's why it's it's cheaper to put in but it's slower delivery it's power. Yeah. and and better for the batteries from what I understand yeah. Exactly. Yep. So yeah, why wouldn't you if you could, right? Yeah. If you're sitting at home or in a hotel room overnight, your vehicle's sitting there doing nothing, might as well be charging. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, I have so this is so fascinating. I have so many questions. So when you go to a hotel and you pay for a hotel room, do you have to pay extra to get reserve one of those charging ports? Or is that I, believe is, they, I don't even know. Is there like an option on hotels.com where you can be like, I want a charger. I want room service, liquor, and a charger. Like, I don't yeah. know. What is there? <laughs> on PlugShare, you could see if you're booking a hotel, you could see if there's a charger available on PlugShare. 
And then once you, the only time I, I've only done it once at a hotel in Thunder Bay and uh, has underground parking. So if you mm-hmm. pay for underground parking, you can use the EV chargers for no, no cost, mm-hmm. but you're paying for your parking. So I guess it's, you're sort of kind paying of for it, but not quite. Um, as long as no one else is on it for eight hours. Exactly. Yeah. When I pulled up, there was a Tesla charging and then I could use the other stall. Wow. It yeah. seems like a lot of work though. Like, I, and I don't mean to diminish, I know you no, love it and no. I don't want to diminish your love affair for it, but you know, I do struggle with the battery things, right? Like this whole swap out of, I get the carbon output. Um, I truly connect with it for the driving experience of it. I mean, it's just fantastic driving experience, but when it comes to the batteries and the oil and, and the, the, I read a very disturbing article about cobalt today and, you know, I look at that part and I'm just like, I'm not sure that I'm ready for the trade-off. And I like the BMW i3 for me. I've driven one. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love BMW. And um, I like, it is mind-blowingly fun to drive. Like it is such a pretty car and it's fun to drive. So I'm tempted, but I, I still struggle with all those things. Like, how do you, how do you reconcile those parts? I know that it fits for your life, mm-hmm. yeah. but there are trade-offs that come with it. And, and that's a real thing that you go through, I'm sure. Yeah, oh, I get uh, tons of those kind of questions about the environmental impact of batteries and, and all that stuff. And I don't know, I, I've watched million YouTube videos from both sides of, of that table. Yep. yep. Um, and I look at the battery as a, as a circle of life. You know, once that battery's dead, they're going to use it to make another battery. When you mm-hmm. finish burning gas, it's gone. It turns mm-hmm. into pollution and it, that's it. So batteries have a kind of a, forever life to them mm-hmm. you know um my truck comes with the eight-year ba- warranty on the battery so you know ford's not going to put an eight-year warranty on something that's going to fail in two years because it well, cause they, doesn't make sense money right yeah so yeah yeah it's very yeah. eloquently said to me um with uh when i was buying a toyota once they said if you don't think toyota we were buying extended warranty and they said if you don't think toyota knows how long this is supposed to last if you want to know, look at the value of the warranty and look at the value of the extended warranty because that's when the math adds up. And so I was like, that's very good advice from someone who works there. Yeah, yeah that <laughs> so is good. Yeah. Full well. yeah, uh, what's the takeaway uh, that we've got here, Rial? When we look at Northern Ontario and, and these kinds of things, these organizations, they've if they're going to commit to providing the service, I would say that they've got to get this stuff cleaned up because it if people are going to invest their lives in it, mm-hmm. it's a lot of money. Uh, it, it's got to work. Yeah, it's they, they got some homework to do for sure. Um, I, I try to contact them when there's issues. I don't want to be a, a Facebook warrior and complain about them. I'd rather <laughs> talk to them, yeah. you know, one on one. And they're trying. They're doing their best. The equipment they're using now is, you know, it's getting older. It's outside, right. you know, winter, summer. It's all computerized. Yeah. All Still northern Ontario. Yeah. So they're doing their best. They, um, I think, as time goes on. It's going to be worth worth it for companies to invest in it too. Yeah. Um, you know, you got me and Scriber and a couple of people in Terrace Bay that have EVs. They're not going to, and there's only a hand, like, you know, it's not a ton of people traveling through Northern Ontario right now. So to invest, you know, hundreds of thousands or millions into EVs right. in Northern Ontario. Yeah, the return is yeah, zero. Right? It's not there, but it's getting there. It's getting better. And, and I mean, I always get the questions, you know, when people get towed to Terrace Bay, you know, from Wawa or Sault Ste. Marie, um, you know, they see a, a nice shiny electric car on a flatbed and they think, oh my God, EVs are junk. They're not going to work up here in the north. The car is fine. 
just doesn't have any yeah. power in it. You know, the, yeah. those cars are solid. They're built. They've been tested. They've, Nissan Leafs have been out for over 10 years and Teslas yeah, have been they're probably out. the most successful mass production car, to be honest. Yeah. So yeah. they know how to build them. They're good. But when they don't have any energy, it's like a gas tank, an empty gas tank. It's, it's like me. It's not going anywhere. <laughs> when I got no energy, I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> right. Break out the potato chips. Yeah. So, um, uh, yeah. Real, I would love to talk more about this another time and yep. and, and learn more because this is just such a fascinating look at the real life use of it. Um, it takes away all the politics and all the BS out of it. And I like that. I think we can learn a lot from that. So thanks, man, for sharing in this. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Shane. This is The Shift Podcast. Right, gadgets, gardening, DIY, skipping, and so much more. Um, it's the middle of summer. We're yet to see him with his shirt off. That's a win for us here on the shift. Handy Andy is here. Hey, buddy. How's it going, Shane? Good. HandyAndyMedia.com if you want to follow along to anything Andy does. Plus, it's important that you follow his YouTube channel. You'll get alerts when uh, he posts new things on there for you. So worth the look, absolutely. And at shiftheads.ca on the Facebook group for what we get up to. Um, cooler, some rain for you today, which was, uh, which is pretty nice in Surrey. Yeah, it was, um, we haven't had rain in like a month. But uh, Shane, this is the reason why I built that self-watering gardening system because my gardens have been doing really well, but the plants have been really stressed out because of, of all the sun. So it's nice to see some rain. Yeah. And plus lazy, right? Well, yes, yeah, of course. I, you, this is the why I front-loaded all the work, <laughs> so I never had to do watering again. That said, I was on Facebook Marketplace, and I found a guy who was selling reclaimed cedar panels, fence panels, that were never painted and never stained. So I contacted him right away, and I went and I bought uh, just a pickup truck full of these panels. Hmm. So I'm going to make more garden beds, and I'm going to probably extend this watering system I had. It works so good that I'm just going to keep going. Um, and just my, I think my backyard is going to turn to a farm eventually one of these a days. Farm, and then what's I retire first, from tech. Yeah. What's your first farm animal? What's Andy Andy Andy's first farm animal? Do you think? Oh, Shane, I'm going to make a rickshaw chicken coop, right? So it's like a rickshaw, so you can move the chicken coop around so that yeah. you don't have it in one place. The only problem I have to solve is chickens like to go back into their into their hen at night, right? To to to. Um, once the sun goes down, I need mm. to figure out how to get the door to shut like on electronically on a timer. Because sometimes when I used to raise chicken, when I was in my early 20s with my parents, we had a little hobby chicken uh, coop in the backyard. But sometimes I would forget to close the gate and there would be a massacre. The raccoons would get in there at mm -hmm. nighttime. Then I'm running out there in my underwear with my hockey stick trying to like fight off these raccoons. And my mom's freaking out because she, she treats the chickens like they're babies. And then she's yelling at me and I'm like 20, 21. I may have had a couple of beers and then forgot to right. close the coop, you know? So at then yeah. I realized someone needs to design a door that can just shut a chicken coop on a timer. Problem solved. Mm. That was quite the visual you just created for us. Gotta tell you. <laughs> Gotta tell True you. story. True I'm story. I'm going to post a picture up at shiftheads.ca. Uh, Andy is uh, so big on, you know, the gardening and all the pieces that he's talking about. I had taken with uh, Steve from North Van's advice for bok choy um, I, and, and a bunch of shift ads actually for 
plants you can grow in water. I When I make soup, I use the baby bok choice. I've been taking the stumps out. And I've been putting them in a bowl, and they've actually, some of them have flowered, some of them have leafed out, and it's actually quite a nice arrangement of plant. And it's just a bunch of um, bunch of bok choy baby, uh, baby bok choy stumps in a bowl. So I'll post it up at shiftheads.ca so y'all can see it and see if it's something that you'd be interested in uh, too, which is really great. But we're not doing gardening today. We are getting into um, the toilet we're taking uh, we're taking this conversation deep down into the toilet. We all know that like the bottom of a of a purse is incredibly dirty. Your cell phone is dirty. There's some escalator handrails are dirty. Some are dirtier than others. But of that list, you can't. It's hard to take the the escalator to the bathroom. The purse goes to the bathroom. That's why it's dirty. And what does everyone else do? Sit down on the toilet and start to death scroll. That's right. Uh, we all know that you know people are doom scrolling on on the toilet but we really don't understand you know the kind of bacteria that is on our smartphones as a result of that now i'm just going to put you on the spot chain i want to i'm going to test you out out of a toilet seat a kitchen counter or a pet food dish which of those three do you think has the most bacteria per square inch i'd probably say the kitchen counter because you do all the meat and things on it that would be my guess close it's actually the pet food dish it has about two thousand bacteria per square inch uh next is the kitchen counter at 1700 bacteria per square inch the toilet seat comes in third at only 1200 bacteria per square inch now here's another trivia between say a checkout screen at the grocery store and a doorknob which of those two would you think has more bacteria i would think a doorknob because that's where most people would go that's what i would say that's correct. Uh, doorknob has about 8,600 bacteria per square inch, where a checkout screen has about 4,500. Now, the wow. reason why I told you those numbers, Shane, is I want to compare it to a smartphone. Now, mm-hmm. if a doorknob has the most out of that group at 8,000, 8, say 8,600 per square inch of bacteria, a cell phone has 25,000 bacteria oh, per square triple. inch. Now, now, put that into context with the toilet seat, which is only at 1,200. And the question is why? Why does our smartphone have more bacteria than the toilet seat? I know why my dog's bowl is so dirty, because if you've ever smelled her breath, um, you can tell that there's something that's funky going on with bacteria somewhere. But the phone, I I would have blamed the toilet, actually. Yes, and I think most people think that. You know, they'll they'll wipe the toilet seat down and they'll, they'll be all careful when they're using a public bathroom. But the, the truth is, the reason why a smartphone has more bacteria is because our smartphones are just like a little heat pad. So it's just like perfect Makes for sense. bacteria. And that's yeah. why. Now, now we complicate that by taking our phones not only into the bathroom, but out of our pockets, into our hands. I have and to be honest, mis- I would love a heated toilet seat, though. If I could have a heated toilet seat that gets warm like my cell phone does, oh, that'd yeah. be heaven. Hey, no, that's yeah, heaven. That's, Let's that, be honest. That's luxury. That, and they even have Bluetooth toilet seats where you have like music playing on the sides really but, um that'd yeah. Be amazing. Oh, yeah like a, a bidet from your app oh that'd be great i oh, shane it's all here every time i go to vegas for the consumer electronics that'd show be so uh, good there's a whole you know section even better? on just toilet tech yeah it'd be better if you came over to my house and went and sat down on the toilet and i had the app and you didn't know it was coming and then <laughs> i turned on the bidet that would be even better. <laughs> oh, that would make for a great, uh, like, um, you know, uh, hidden Pretty camera kind of. Right? A, yeah, one of those just for laugh types of yeah, uh, skits. It's so good. Um, but yeah, so so this is a problem. Like, we as a society have just gotten such a, uh, 
into this habit of using our phones while we're sitting in the bathroom. And it's like, how do we stop it? Our smartphones are literally the most dirtiest things that we have in contact every day. And when I was reading this and I was reading these studies about how much bacteria it's on, I'm like, wow, during COVID, we were told like, wash your hands, wash your hands. Nobody ever said, wash your smartphone, clean your smartphone. Even the FCC, the Federal uh, Communication Commission in the U.S., recommends that people you know, they do daily sanitation of their smartphones. So you would take uh, an alcohol kind of wipe, at least 70% or more preferably, and wipe it down each day. How many people do that? I don't. I know I don't. But I know we all should when you just look at the stats of how much bacteria is on our smartphones, which then subsequently goes onto our hands. And then we go into other public places like our work, our schools, uh, you know, visit our families in like care homes. Nobody ever talks about cleaning the smartphone. So I think we almost have to raise awareness about this and get into that habit of sanitizing our smartphones, uh, you know, frequently. Have you ever tried one of those, um, those, they, they sell them on all the cheap sites, but like a UV phone cleaner machine and stuff like that. Have you read anything that those things actually work versus grabbing a proper disinfectant wipe and just cleaning it? Yeah, so what you're talking about is these new gadgets. I actually reviewed one of these. It's called the phone soap box. And it's just a little box, but in the top of the lid of the box in the inside is a UV light. And what they're saying is that that UV ray, when you shut the box, it's shining right onto your phone, which would then, oh, look, Ryan is showing me on Zoom right now that you have one of these, Ryan. You have one of those? Really, eh? Yeah, when I got my iPhone, it was like, uh, it was kind of, you know, end of covid so uh rogers was like we're just kind of you know getting rid of these and uh i was like yeah sure i'll take one and yeah you know you turn it on i think it you know five minutes or so yeah it also has a built-in charger so you know it gives you a little bit of juice and honestly i don't really know if it works but you know every now and then last night for example i went to the dirtiest concert i've ever been to in my life oh, yeah. like just crazy mosh pits and I put the phone in the thing when I got home and made me feel a bit better. Well, you about are a bit of a germaphobe. You're a bit of a, I, right? Like that's kind of a your little thing. bit. Yeah. 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 If I can yeah. avoid it. Yes, for sure. Well, see, that's the thing, Ryan, about this. Because when I was reviewing it, it's like, okay. Yeah, oh, you wait put a second. It in. Before yep. you continue, this is Ryan's concert last night. This is Ryan was like, I missed work to go to this. So anyway. It was context pure chaos and i loved every minute of it yeah Yeah, i would definitely clean your phone after something about like that but like metal shows and disco balls doesn't fit though right i gotta tell you oh it's it's great when you see the reflection of people you know punching each other in the little mirrors it's it's great very good poetic uh dirty phones sorry andy we're we're all excited we digress (laughs) so yeah the the phone box so what the basically like and i reviewed this and they say okay put the phone in close the box and leave it for five minutes. Ta-da, your phone is clean. But you don't, and here's the thing, you don't actually see it happening. It's much, it's not the same as when you take a wipe and you're physically cleaning it. There's something psychological about that. Like you have, you know, done something to it to clean it. Whereas these phone box, what they say from just the science of the UV light is that is one of the most effective methods of cleaning your phones. But rarely, Ryan, you're the only person that I know that actually has one. So I'm glad that you use it. And I think if we got into Mm -hmm. that habit or better yet, imagine we go to the bathroom and there's a box and we clean our phones. We don't use our phones. We clean it 
while we're sitting on the toilet. I think yeah. that's where we have to head as a society. Just be present to the poop, eh? That's it. That's toilet it. thoughts. They're the best thoughts because you you just sit there and you have random toilet thoughts and you can solve thoughts. world problems. This could know. be Andy's new blog. And now toilet thoughts. Oh, I used Andy, to have Andy the Barrard. best thoughts. I, I remember in high school, I would come to my friends and I'm like, do you guys ever wonder how a, a, a dryer in the bathroom can get hot so fast? You ever think about that? <laughs> They're like, what? I'm like, yeah, it's a toilet thought. Let's oh, think about it. HandyAndyMedia.com. Gadgets and phones are part of our very distracted conversation today. Andy, eyesight and phones and kids, something parents have become very well aware of how close and how glued to tablets they've become. Yeah, it's actually a big issue with kids because, well, by nature of them being smaller, they just have smaller arms. So the phone or the tablet is typically closer to their eye. And myopia, which is known as nearsightedness, is on the rise for kids. And one of the reasons they suspect is because of these screens being too close to their eyes. And kid, Shane, you know, anyone that grew up in like the 70s, 80s or 90s, we heard it all, you know, standing too close to the television or sitting there too close. Your parents would yell at you and say, get back, you're going to lose your eyesight. But that's really become a bigger, bigger problem with these smartphones today. And Apple with iOS 17 has released this new feature called screen distance, and it uses the true depth camera in iPhones and iPads that have face ID to check to see if somebody is holding the phone too close to their eyes. So if you have it less than, say, 12 inches from your face for over five minutes, you'll get a notification to tell you to move that screen back. And they're hoping that that will help um, kids or at least give them that push, a reminder to keep the phone away from you. Because if you have it too close and you don't look at something far away, you're definitely going to have issues with eyesight. So it's good to see that they're trying to at least solve this. But uh, I think, you know, the, the, this generation, we'll see what happens in 20, 30 years if they have issues with their eyesights. But, you know, things have changed ever since the iPhone has come on the scene since 2007. It is kind of fascinating, too. Um, that doesn't even include the daytime, the nighttime, the blue light, the, the dim yellow light, all of those things as well, yeah? Yeah, we're just really not designed to be able to have digital screens with lights like that uh, directly to us. And like you mentioned, blue lights, that's one of the advices to keep uh, devices away from your eyes before you go to bed because that is going to disrupt your sleep. Yet everybody's checking their phones before they go to bed, and it's the first thing they check when they wake up. So we've got some bad habits as a society right now, but we wonder what is these habits going to have over the course of, say, 10, 20, 30 years when that generation gets older? Um, and then the next generation, you know, kids today, they grew up with iPhones. You know, they don't know anything else like this. So they, they don't know the importance of just kind of looking at stuff. Even if you're working on your computer, you're supposed to look away for about 10, 15 minutes. Uh, otherwise, you're straining your eyes by, by focusing on screens too close. Uh, I guess there's no solution other than the warning to the parents device that, you know, your kid's too close to the iPad. I mean, I mean, parents use the iPad to babysit the kids in a lot of cases anyway. I'm not quite sure it's going to do much. No, no. And that's that's why I'm, I'm very curious on what happens in the next couple of decades when it's going to be like a case study on a grand scale of all these kids because they've grown up with these digital devices. And like you mentioned, it's like a, it's the perfect babysitter. You go on a road trip, you put an iPad in front of the kids, you know, they're, they're going to be distracted and they're not going to give you too many problems 
But what is that effect going to happen when they're, you know, in their 40s, 50s and 60s? Time will only tell. Um, but it's it's good that the at least the tech companies are starting to realize that they had the technology to, to actually see, pun intended, that oh. the kids are, have their their devices too close to their eyes and are at least giving them that nudge. It's kind of like how our parents were yelling at us. Now the actual yeah. devices are telling us, move that yeah. screen well, device- away from your eyes. The device is doing the parenting, so that's probably not good either. Uh, Handy Andy is here. We've got less than a minute, though, but why should we wear wireless earbuds to concerts? Taylor Swift was just in Seattle, so that was a big one. So we got to be a quick, but hit it. Yeah, and Ryan was at a concert yesterday. If you here's a little tip: if you do, if you go to a concert, you want to wear earplugs. If you don't have earplugs, use your earphones because a lot of them have that N- or ANC active noise cancellation feature. So mm-hmm. use that. It can drop about twenty to thirty decibels of the sound if you have those in. So the same earbuds that are probably going to give you hearing problems, well, when you're at concerts, they can help you at least uh, mute out that that loudness when. To, essentially try to save your ears a little bit. Yeah, which fascinating, quite interesting to think about. Um, you know, I mean, a lot of people wear earplugs anyway to diminish the concert, right, the volume. So if you could yeah. do that and still get it to just control the volume without diminishing that high end and losing quality of the sound. And in today's world, when you're paying $700 or whatever God price it is, um, that would be uh, that'd be pretty helpful stuff. So cool stuff. Okay, handyannymedia.com. You can check it out online and the links also at shiftheads.ca, part of the Facebook group, because Andy posts his videos and more on there. Thank you for being here, brother. Thanks, Shane. This is the Shift Podcast. Are you? Are you? Are you? Okay. 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 Are you okay with... Um, are you okay with some stories that just might make you ponder? Let's get started. Are you okay with collecting? Ooh. Uh, uh, <laughs> John collects uh, money. Shouldn't be surprised. He's very, very well, good at that. That, that. That's a good thing. Uh, I no, but he, recently... connects, he collects interesting money and he collects money money. Any new money for you, Jono? No fancy new coins or anything you found recently no, since your trip? No, just just that $2 bill that I posted on the Facebook group and still looking for some new coins there. Do you ever go shopping for money? Because there's all kinds of like coin auctions. Yeah, uh, I try not to spend my money on that. That's that's pretty expensive. Isn't that funny, right? <laughs> yeah. funny. Oh, you just like to, you like to find the, the diamond in the rough, if you will. Yeah, like when I get changed right. and I'm like, oh, oh, it's it's a coin that has nothing at the back. Like yeah. That. There you go. Okay, makes sense. Okay, cool. Now Ryan, on the other hand, <laughs> collecting. Uh, and a new thing has started. Well, I should say restarted. When I was in college, I used to play Magic: The Gathering, which is like a card game. It's been around for a very long time, and uh, I don't know. I've kind of been thinking about getting back into it. It's a very expensive hobby, but there was these new Lord of the Rings cards that came out, and I went double nerd and i opened one pack and got a card worth 90 dollars in the one pack which only cost 10 dollars. so uh the addiction has been restarted i will soon have a way too expensive deck i can already see it coming it's already started uh but it's fun it's very nerdy so yeah no regrets so okay you know when you have a friend who plays like video lotteries or goes and plays poker, 
no. Yeah. They always talk about like, you know, how was your night last night at the casino? Oh, I was up 400. But they don't tell you about the other five nights where they lost $500 a night, right? <laughs> so yes. now you just, you yes. said, and I'm calling you out because I don't really don't know the answer, but I'm calling you out, that you just said okay. that you bought one pack for $10 and it had a $90 card in it. How yes. many packs do you think you've bought that have nothing in it? Uh, uh, well, I did in the past, like a lot, I would say probably spent uh, at least a hundred dollars on magic cards. And that's the first very rare expensive card I've ever gotten. I have some fun ones. However, I'm not as bad as my friend who spent $500 on one deck of cards, $500. Hmm. Wow. <laughs> it's yeah, I'm not quite at that point. Maybe, hopefully not. Problematic. Okay, um collecting things is good. I mean, I'm trying to collect less things. I don't have a collection of things. I guess I'm not really a collector, but at the same time, I was really bad at purging out of the house, so I suppose I kind of just collected everything. Um which by the way, we have a great guest coming up about um purging things and um, that mentality around being broke and uh, looking forward to that later in the week, by the way, unrelated to this, but just made me think of it. Let's get into this story here about collecting and let's get you a clip, which Ryan says has a happy ending or a surprise ending. I started collecting poo here and poo there, poo everywhere. And, and before you know it, um, I, had a, I had a spare bedroom full of Winnie the Pooh items. Ah, Winnie uh, the Pooh. Uh, yes. Not the poopy. You haven't watched Ted Lasso yet, have you? No, no. I just started The Sopranos over the weekend, so once I'm through with that, I'll I'll do the I'll do the yeah. I'll do the Ted Lasso because the yeah. poopy would make more sense then. Um, okay. okay. So today we're looking at the biggest poo with an H collection in the world. A Wisconsin woman has held the Guinness World Record for collecting the largest collection of Winnie the Pooh memorabilia since 2008. And she says her collection keeps on growing. But why does she keep doing it? I mean, she's already got the record, right? Well, the answer is simple. And I'm having so much fun collecting, meeting people, doing different things. Boy, I just don't see an end in sight. Plus, she doesn't want anyone overtaking her. I would like to say that it's friendly, but I'm very competitive. And so, yes, I would probably do most anything to, to keep the title. Even though she has more than 23,000 unique items, she still finds new ones. It's like a treasure hunt and a forever treasure hunt. Deb also published her own book in May, chronicling her 30 years of collecting. Hoping that the book ends up being an inspirational piece that says, you know what, whatever it is in life, go do it and have fun. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, so have fun today. That's good advice, I would say. Hey, that's pretty much the standard, and I mean it in the best way. That's like most the argument most collectors will make for themselves mm -hmm. to justify the collection. But I think it's a good justification. It is a it is a rewarding sense, uh, as so fun? long as you don't put yourself in crippling debt or you know uh, make poor financial decisions like me. Well, so, I guess if you love it, yeah. but at the same time, if you love it. At the same time. I feel like there's something else going on, you know? I don't know. Maybe it's me. It's fascinating. This is from TMJ4, by the way, the channel. Hoffman said she plans on keeping her collection for the rest of her life, and she even has a plan for what will happen afterwards. 
I always say when I go to the big honey pot in the sky, <laughs> I'm going to actually donate the whole collection to that museum in Canada. Oh, no. I got the quote wrong. The whole collection to the museum in Canada where Winnie the Pooh's story actually started. That's nice. Would you like to know where that is? I would, because I was like, man, I hope when I listen to The Shift tonight, I can learn more about Winnie the Pooh. Well, it's the Winnie the Pooh exhibit in the Pavilion Art Gallery in Assaboyne Park, Winnipeg. Winnipeg is home to... Assaboyne. Yeah, yeah. I've read that. Yeah, anyway, yeah, point. they've got a massive, uh, massive, massive collection of Winnie the Pooh stuff in uh, in Winnipeg. Very good. I did not know that. There you go. Yeah. I don't know. As long as you love it. As long as you love it. You go go be free. A Winnie name came from Winnipeg, Texter says. No way. Really? That can't. If that's the only reason. Come mm, on. Then Ryanair would be named after me. Uh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. 100%. Winnie name came from Winnipeg. I've never heard that before. Try to see here. Winnie the Pooh. Man, we're going down the rabbit hole. Uh, get it? Because there's the, the it's, rabbit. It's more of a more of a bear's den. No, but there's the, the, the rabbit. I forget the name of the... Uh... Really? Says the text. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. Uh, oh, wait a minute. Minnie was the father of bookseller Christopher Robin Mile, upon whom the character Christopher Robin is based. It was during right. a visit to the London Zoo where Christopher became enamored with the tame and amiable bear Winnipeg that Milne was inspired to write the story Winnie the Pooh for his son. Winnipeg was the name of a black bear at a London Zoo. Oh, so, so yes. it's Winnipeg the bear, not Winnipeg the city. Yes. So does that is that that must be where the name Winnipeg comes from for the city? It must wow. be like a, a bear name. Well, look at ah, that. Well, that's huh. good. Check it knowledge. out. <laughs> knowledge. I guess I did learn something fascinating today. Who knew? I did and not know that. One more thing. That bear was born in Ontario, but was at a London Zoo. <laughs> Named Winnipeg. Yes. <laughs> wow. Okay. I had no idea. Look at what we've learned. Um, huh. And let's all just hope that when, you know, this fa fabulous collector um, goes to this honeypot in the sky, um, her collection is amazing and she never loses that title. I feel like this is uh, too soon or maybe just insensitive, but we'll go with it. Are you okay with zoos? Well, if they have bears from Ontario named Winnipeg where I inspire stories like Winnie the Pooh, then I'm okay with a zoo. Yeah, absolutely. Apparently, also, I was just reading that Winnipeg, who was born in Ontario, was originally supposed to go to the zoo in Winnipeg, but they went to London anyway. Oh. Um, so, uh, knowledge. Uh, zoos are great. I love zoos. Calgary Zoo does a lot of really amazing conservation work. I love the giraffes. My favorite exhibit there or the, the that they have are the giraffes and the lemurs, which are adorable. You can kind of mm. walk and see them play around. And I think they're cool places to just uh, learn about animals. Great dates, by the way, like a first date. Going to the zoo is a great mm. idea. You can walk Done and that talk. a couple of times. Expensive, though. 35 bucks a person, I think. Yeah. 
So, you know, you go once a year, go at Christmas time when they light it all up. Yeah, love the zoo. All right. Um, best zoos I've ever been to. I'd love to get your thoughts on this. 877-399-9898. The Smithsonian Washington, D.C. Zoo. Washington, D.C. Zoo is fascinating. Um, you've got their orangutans. They're not in an d- enclosure. They just basically, like, climb over you. <laughs> it's always it's really cool. cool. Um, the Honolulu Zoo is remarkable. Elephants are uh, amazing. And then I remember being there. You love the giraffes. You want to see giraffes. There are so many giraffes there. I remember looking and they're everywhere. And you're like, how are there so many giraffes? And then they are a, uh, Randy bunch. Let's just put it that way. And they were always on a date at the zoo and they were giving her with each other always so that's why there's a lot of giraffes there because they're pretty horny it seems all right um so that's good john says san diego zoo uh, was one of the best ones there you go for three's company alone that's probably one of the best ones um okay so zoos keep a lot of amazing animals some very scary ones too and over the weekend police uh german police were on the hunt for what they believe was an escaped lioness that was spotted on the outskirts of berlin Local residents were warned to stay indoors as police patrols, helicopters, hunters, and veterinarians searched for the wild animal, and they found it, except it was not a lion. (laughs) Someone needs to go back to biology class. It was a boar, a big one. The uh, two experts who examined the video told police they believe the animal is a wild boar, according to DW, the German public broadcaster. Everything, um, which I imagine is like Deutsch Weekly, um... Everything, that's probably not what it's called. Everything indicates it's not a lioness, like the snorting. <laughs> uh, Michael Gruber, the mayor of that city, <laughs> suspected lioness, was first spotted. But the residents of Berlin did not uh, make it easy to come to that conclusion. Yesterday in Berlin, kindergartens were closed. This was a, there was a lot of panic. This was a large-scale operation, as I said, and people were looking for any uh, sightings, any um, insight into where this animal was. And actually, there were reports on, um, on media, local media here in Berlin earlier that people in the area had heard lion roars. Now, that actually transpired to be a prank uh, by nearby um, people, people in the area, people mm. playing the sounds of lions roaring. So really, that and a lot of internet memes, a lot of funny uh, images appearing on the internet and with regards to this story. Um, the panic appears appears to be over, and people are having uh, quite a bit of a laugh about it. Did not have an Irish accent on a German story in my my bingo card for the show here. Yeah, thankfully they do the broadcast in German and in English. What you mm-hmm. didn't hear in that clip was a v- almost three minute explanation from not a scientist, but the mayor of that town talking about why it wasn't a lion pointing out the hump in the back is not there. The tail looks different. However, in the picture, it really does look like a lion. It's a very, very, uh, I can understand why people in Berlin were like, Oh, should maybe not send our kids to school today hmm. yeah. uh that's can i tell you a great dane story i yeah yeah i'm curious to see um, how that's why go. great danes have i this is what i read is that's why because after i've have i've had four great danes in my puppy owning life um that's why they used to have cropped ears was because they were big enough and strong enough they could return or kill a boar 
in Germany, in Europe. And so they had their ears cropped because the boars would tear their ears off. Oh. Because they're big, droopy, floppy ears. And so yeah, they started to crop the ears to protect them. Plus, look mean and badass. Um, and then, uh, and that's why. So, yeah, wow. that's what I read. So, I hope that's I true. It. I believe no, it. makes story. sense. Yeah. So, the big guard dogs. So, anyway, the boar thing doesn't surprise me. Um, DW News was the, uh, the source of that very interesting, um, fascinating piece. Okay. Um, let's do one more. Are you okay with? Which one do you want, right? You want to do surprises or costumes? Uh, you know what? Let's stick with the theme. Do the surprise one. Oh, there's a theme on the shift. Are you okay with costume contests? Well, you all know my view on costumes. No, Ryan no, loves no, them. No, I don't. Yeah. No, no, do the other one. Do the surprise one. Are you okay <laughs> Trust me. with? Trust me. Saving costumes for tomorrow. <laughs> Surprises. Surprise, we're doing this one. Trust okay. me, it's going to be worth it. Uh, you know, for the first time in my life, I've been asked to be a part of a surprise party. I've never had a surprise birthday, nor have I been a part of one. And I'm very excited, except uh, I have to pitch in for bottle service at a, at a bar, which is $100. Mm. And, uh, yeah, I'm now thinking maybe I'll set out the surprise party for that. <laughs> wow. Um, cheap takes out surprise. Surprises are okay. I think they're fun, but I think that they're one of those things that you need to, you gotta be careful about, you know, you gotta, um, you gotta be smart with the surprises. That's for sure. Um, cause some people just don't like surprises. Don't want surprises. A zoo in Columbus, Ohio was hit with a double dose of surprises this week with our animal themed, not costume story. It welcomed a baby gorilla, but the fact that the birth even happened in the first place was a surprise. Sully, a gorilla who came to the zoo in 2019 with her mother, has become a mother herself. However, the zoo called this and Sully's newborn baby unexpected. According to their post on social media, zookeepers discovered that the proud mom, who was initially believed to be a male, it's actually a female. Care teams have been watching Sully and the baby and shared that things are going well. The baby has not been named yet. Surprise, not a boy. Now, I'm not an expert on gorillas, but I would guess. Like with a dog, you can lift up the tail. With a cat, you can see the bits. I'm guessing with a gorilla, you don't just go like, hey, bend over, big fella. Let me see what you got down there. Like I'm assuming that it's not as obvious as a horse well it, it's definitely not as obvious as as a horse yes hmm. i don't i don't know nbc columbus with that story right there so how is it possible to not know it was female the zoo put out the statement it's hard to tell the sex of younger gorillas until about age eight males and females are about the same size and they don't have prominent sex organs oh that's sad as gorillas age they become sexually dimorphic meaning males and females look very different However, males don't develop their characteristic large size, silver, silver backs and large head bumps called sagittal crests until age 12 or later. Zookeepers describe Sully as a young, healthy animal who did not need any procedures or medical care that would have led to the discovery sooner. <sighs> That's neat, though. It is. Yeah, science. Hmm. Hey, gorilla, what you got there? Oh, a baby. Surprise. Um, Surprise. 
Thanks for listening to the Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.